So how many of you have stepped on something like that? That hurts, doesn't it? It really does. Uh, I was told during the filming of this, because we shot this one, the uh, sadistic filmer required his wife to walk through that several times just to get it right. <laughs> Good morning and welcome to the sixth in our series on help, which we all desperately need one way or the other. I was about six years old. My mother and father had divorced when I was three, but we went back to Flossmoor, Illinois for a visit, and my father, whom I saw probably only four or five times until he passed away when I was 17, he happened to be at the home that day, and I was playing with my set of Plasticville buildings. And these buildings were very significant to me. They went with my American Flyer train set. And I just loved setting that up everywhere I went and playing with it. And all of a sudden, this giant, my father, comes walking through and steps on my diner. And I'm confident that everybody inside the diner died. <laughs> but he just kept walking. And you know what? It, it created in me at six years old, a pain that I had never experienced before. It was a pain of rejection, a pain more inside than outside, because even at that age, I knew somebody would buy me another diner, but it was a tragedy. And it stuck with me for a long time. Now, I watched many of you this morning as you walked in all smiles, good morning, everything's fine. And uh, I know that there are a few of you that that's true and the rest of you are lying. Okay, you're just like me. There are always things going on in our lives, aren't there? And there's pain. There are different kinds of pain that you and I experience, sometimes on a daily basis, sometimes it's spread apart and it's just... I'm confident of this. Some of you are in pain right now. And pain is just around the corner for others. And some of you have, praise God, just moved out of pain. But we all have pain and we all need help. If you understand to the level you can, God, as he's revealed himself to you and to me, you have a better probability of dealing with pain. It's not easy. It's nothing that any of us desires to have in our lives. We don't seek out pain. We want to be delivered from pain. And don't believe for a second that just because you are a follower of Jesus Christ, that pain will never come your way. Actually, the Apostle Paul said that it has been called unto us not only to believe on him, but to suffer on his behalf. So pain is part of life, even the Christian life. And life can hurt. People get sick. We've experienced more than ever these last few years. Our friends sick, relatives sick, some dying. It's a terrible thing to have to live with those kinds of pain. Life 
can hurt. Where's the help? Well, the help comes from the Word of God. There are many places we can go to discuss pain and suffering in the Bible, but God led me to three people, one in the Old Testament and two in the New, to help us <clears throat> understand pain, that if, if we are hidden in Christ, He is going to help us with the pain. Someone said this, it was C.H. Spurgeon who said, Your trials are the cleft of the rock in which God has set you as he did his servant Moses. Some of you may remember that story that Moses was on top of the mountain. He, he wanted to know God better than he did. And God said, you want to see my glory? Here's what I'll do. And he put him into a crevice like a cave in a rock structure. And then it said that God passed by, but all that Moses was able to see was the hind quarter of God, just that touch of glory for a moment. If we are hidden in that rock, then that will be sufficient for us when pain comes. God delivers you through the pain. He comforts you during the pain. And he prepares you for pain that is yet to come. God is always there when pain is there. And he is your help. So let's look at the first of these three. I bet you can guess who it is in the Old Testament. Yep, Job. I heard it. <laughs> it's Job. Now, here's the interesting thing. This is not a sermon about Job. This is a sermon about pain. The central theme of the book of Job is not suffering. The central theme of the book of Job is the glory of God. That's what it's all about. That's why God allowed it to happen. That's why he gave Satan permission to take Job on this terrible journey because God knew where Job would end up, but he had a purpose for allowing this to happen. In this book, God communicates his character, and he's saying this, I am all-powerful, all-knowing, and ever-present. Job, you're not. So he's saying to us today, you're not God, I am. So when pain comes, I'm still God, and I will be there for you. Now, it wasn't easy for Job to understand this because in his day, if you were considered a righteous person, then nothing would ever happen that was bad to you. You wouldn't get sick. Nothing would happen. But as soon as you got sick or some problem entered your life, those around you would judge you and say, aha, you're a sinner. You deserve this punishment. But that wasn't the case because God had already said in his conversation with Lucifer, that have you considered Job, who is a righteous man, a man after God's own heart? But in one afternoon, everything changed in Job's life, everything. Some of you have experienced that, when just one event changes everything. Job found himself covered in sores, 
seven sons and three daughters had just been killed in a storm. All of his livestock, all of his belongings, everything is destroyed. His wife is disgusted with him. His brothers want nothing to do with him. He's cast out of the city and is sitting on a heap of ashes all in one afternoon. Wouldn't you question that? You know, why God? In that council you have with Lucifer, how come I couldn't be there to vote? Because I certainly wouldn't have picked me. Why did he do it? Why did God let that happen? How many times have you heard that? First, Job suffered to demonstrate God's glory. Job suffered to demonstrate God's glory. Secondly, he suffered because God wanted to refine Job's righteousness. So there's always two purposes in pain. He wants to be glorified in the midst of your pain. But he wants to refine you and make you more like himself as he comes with you through that pain. That's the purpose of pain. It's not arbitrary. It wasn't punishment of Job. It wasn't random. It had a significant purpose. When you value holiness in life and you hate sin like God does, then he will set you apart and refine you more and more. That's what life is about. You and I are constantly being conformed to the image of Christ. That confirmation is not just because we know things. It's because we're living out those things that we know about God. And when there's more we need to learn, he uses different means to bring us closer to himself. And he gets the glory and we become more like Christ. God is being glorified. Job is being sanctified. To prove his point, God enters into a lengthy conversation with Job that we're not going to cover. But he does it with three areas. He wants to show Job what Job knows and what he doesn't know. So he said, what do you know about the world above? What do you know about the world beneath? What do you know about the creatures I have created? And when they finish the conversation, Job is confident that he cannot run the universe. He knows that, no, I, I can't handle the waves. I can't handle the rain in the skies. I can't create. Neither can I maintain the world like you do. So Job now is getting closer to his knowledge of God. Everything God does has a purpose. Nothing is random. His primary purpose is that we would glorify him and that we would do that with joy even in the midst of suffering. That's how God can use your pain to draw him, you closer to himself. There was a uh, Catholic monk in the 20th century, Thomas Merton, who's written a lot of great works, he said this, if we love God for something less than himself, we cherish a desire that can fail us. We run the risk of hating him if we do not get what we hope for. Let me say that again. You see, God wants us to love him just for who he is, not for what we can get from him. And if we love him only because of what we get from him, the protection, the provision, the deliverance, 
we're worshiping the protection and the deliverance. Just like those who followed Christ. And in John 6, they turned around and left because all they wanted were the, <clears throat> were the miracles. So Merton is saying, you run a risk if you're not loving the giver rather than the gift. Pain is a gift, one that I prefer not to have. But it always means that God is working with me no matter what the circumstance may be. In the late 1800s, there's an evangelist and the head of an orphanage in England by the name of George Mueller. His wife passed away in February of 1870. He was strong enough to speak at her funeral. But listen to these words. I miss her in numberless ways and shall miss her yet more and more. But as a child of God and as a servant of the Lord Jesus, I bow. I am satisfied with the will of my heavenly Father. I seek by perfect submission to his holy will to glorify him, and I kiss continually the hand that has thus afflicted me. So what he was saying was, yes, I love her. I miss her. We know how that feels, don't we? But I will kiss the hand of God, even though he has afflicted me. Job understood that. See, Job understood in his way, back in that day, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The end of the world. Listen to what he says in Job 19.25. I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end he will stand on the earth. And it continues that, you know, and I'll stand with him. Wow. So he, he has this, <clears throat> this ultimate understanding of the power of God, of the presence of God. His benefit through all this pain and suffering was not that when it was over, he was given a, more children and more wealth, and that wasn't what he was after. That's what God gave him. But what he had was a closer relationship with God. Do you have any idea what it means to be as close as you can possibly be? Maybe you've tasted it a few times in your life where you knew the presence of God was with you. To be able to sustain that would just be awesome. If I could have back those moments that I have felt that, if I could live in the midst of that constantly, then pain would have no power over me because the peace that passes understanding would fill me up so I would be at peace with God. So let me ask you a question. Listen carefully to this question. If all you ultimately gain out of a life of pain, if all you ultimately get out of having pain all your life is a closer relationship with God, is it worth it? Be careful when you say yes. But it is worth it. It's worth it because ultimately that's our end. We will be with him. We will stand with him, as Job communicated. 
Job says in 1315 of his book, though he slay me, yet I will trust him. And then in 42.5, my ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. How close have you come in your knowledge of the Lord, in your practice of knowing God? How do you spend your day? Can you go very long at all without reflecting on who he is and what he's done for you? Pain comes in so many different ways. Have you heard the still, small voice in your mind? Well, when God lets tragedy come, that's one of the ways he uses pain to draw people closer to himself and to cause them to be more and more like Jesus Christ. Now, let's leave the Old Testament for a minute, and that kind of pain that Job suffered, that pain of personal loss, of being misunderstood, of being righteous yet being called out as though he were an unholy person. Let's move into the New Testament. The Apostle Paul, 2 Corinthians 12, 7 to 10. He starts it off by saying, because of these surprisingly great revelations. Before we continue, let me explain what he's saying. He speaks of someone who went to the third heaven and saw things that cannot be expressed. And everyone is confident who study these passages, theologians of, of old and new, say it was Paul himself who in his spirit went and saw these revelations. And now he tells us, because of these surprisingly great revelations, therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, why would he be conceited? Wow, if you've seen things that he had seen, things that don't exist on earth, things the way they're going to be in the future, he, he's seen things he couldn't really express in human words. So he could very well become conceited if he walks around saying, hey, you haven't seen what I've seen. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. When I am weak, then I am strong. The Greek word for thorn is actually stake like a big stake you would use to drive a tent into the ground. So if it were in the Wally translation, it would be, I was given a stake for my flesh, a messenger of Satan. When people say, well, what was the stake? It was a messenger from Satan. What did he do to him? Too many speculations. No one really knows. But it was painful. And God never took it away from him, ever. I just can't imagine that. Why? Why did he have to suffer physical pain that long? Many of you have been in pain before. I had pain when I had the hip replaced, but when they asked me, are you in pain, what is your level? And I said, it's about a two. They said, how is that possible? I said, when you've had a kidney stone, 
right? You remember that? I, I feel for those of you who have shared in that experience with me. I woke up one night many, many years ago back in the late 80s, and I was in terrific pain. And my compassionate, loving wife said, well, just walk around. It'll go away. I mean, neither one of us knew what was going on. So I got up, and I walked outside, and I came back. Sure enough, it was gone. The pain was gone. About an hour later, I woke up, and the pain was not gone. I didn't want to die in bed with her, so I crawled out of the bed. And I crawled to the television. I thinking, if I'm going to die, I'll find something worth watching. And, and I found an NBA basketball game. Yeah, it was really great. And she walked out, and she said, what are you doing? I said, I'm dying. <laughs> she said, you need to go to the hospital. I said, okay. We'll get the car. She said, I can't. The kids are all asleep. You need to drive yourself. And she was right. I mean, I, I was still capable of doing that. And so I got in the, the van and I drove uh, probably three miles to the hospital. And I went in and they said, you know, you have a kidney stone. And the urologist looked at it and everything. And he said, well, we can't do anything about it. What do you mean you can't? I, I, I need to pray three times. <laughs> what do you mean you can't? He said, well, it's stuck. I will unstick it. You know, it's stuck. I would not recommend the urologist I went to. <laughs> I carried that pain for three months. And they had given me opiates, which I am so thankful I didn't become addicted to because by the time I got back to the hospital three months later, I had probably taken two or 300 milligrams of something, Demerol, I believe. And then they came in and gave me a shot of Demerol. And my urologist comes in and says, well, it's sure that if you've over-medicated your patient and he's still in pain, it's time to operate. You know, God forgive him. They operated, and it was very painful. But it, it is against that pain that I measure all other pain. Now, that's significant because physically we're all going to have pain. But think about Christ. If you will think about the pain that Jesus Christ suffered, it wasn't just the loss of things like Job or the physical pain of Paul. No, it, it was a much deeper pain. We're going to look at that in just a minute. Paul's physical pain never caused him to waver in his faith. He didn't stop doing what God had called him to do. He kept doing it. There is a way to move from pain to praise while you're in pain. As a matter of fact, that is the only way that you're going to be able to sustain the pain is to praise God in the midst of it. It's very difficult to do. It, it takes a closeness with God that allows you to do it, but you need to seek the Lord. That's the formula. If you seek the Lord... He will deliver you. Look what Isaiah said, what we are to do. Isaiah 55, 6 and 7. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them and to our God for he will freely pardon. So what are we to do? We are to seek the Lord... And turn to him and repent. 
and just ask him, God, would you take this pain from me? Would you sustain me through the pain? Would you allow me not to have to enter any more pain? Those are the three options. And then God will decide how he wants to deal with you. That is what we are to do. Why are we to do that? The next two verses in the same chapter. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. This is God speaking. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. What are his thoughts? His plans, his devices, his intentions, his purposes, all of those are higher and grander than anything we can understand. But he has them all enclosed in compassion. So that God is a compassionate God who loves to hear from us and often will allow pain in our lives. Why? So that we can glorify him for it and be drawn closer to him and refined in the midst of it. It's just what God decided to do. A deeper understanding of God always leads to a deeper understanding of your pain and suffering. Job learned it. Paul accepted it. But it's Jesus that we really want to talk about. From the word, Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 to 11, Paul is speaking of Jesus. He says, Who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself. By becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now if God called... Job, a righteous man. And Paul is spoken of as the most educated of all in the New Testament, the one who knew God the very best. Imagine Christ. Christ, who throughout eternity has been the second person of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Christ in that amazing unity of equality where all three are equally God. And the Father says, I am sending you to pay the price for the sin of those we created. And Jesus Christ comes. Every time he sees someone, he knows their heart. There never was a time that Jesus didn't know his mission from being a little child until his last breath on the, on the cross. But the pain he suffered was a pain of looking at humanity that would not believe in the one who sent him. If you believe in me, he said, then you know the Father. For the Father and I are one. Jesus' pain was, in fact, physical. The way they beat him, the way they crowned his head with thorns, the way they nailed 
through his wrist, and they nailed his feet, and they pierced the side of his body. He was unrecognizable as a human when they finished their work. There was another kind of pain, the pain of paying the price for you and me. When on that cross, he suffered separation from the Father and went to hell and left death and destruction there and came back. He satisfied the Father. But the pain of that separation was way beyond our capability of imagination. And then he ascended. He paid the price for pain and praised the Father throughout it. It's so hard for us to do that. But the Bible says, with his stripes, you are healed. No matter what level of pain you may be in, that pain is terrible. There's a, a woman who is Australian. She's an evangelist, a Christian activist, an international speaker. Her name is Christian Cain. She grew up and suffered at the hands of many before God got a hold of her. And I want to move toward the end of our message this morning by reading her plea to you and to me, because it involves us. She said, I really felt to encourage those of you who are feeling hopeless, helpless, and on the edge of despair right now. It's so hard to keep trusting, hoping, believing when you feel disappointed, betrayed, heartbroken, misunderstood, rejected, abandoned, overlooked, or unwanted. When your energy is depleted, your mind tormented, you've lost your joy, you can't even remember any semblance of peace. You just want to give up. Giving up seems much easier than getting back up. Letting go seems easier than holding on, and going back seems easier than moving forward. The enemy has been working overtime to take you out because you matter, and so does your purpose. The reason you're still here is because Jesus is holding you tight. You don't have to hold on. Just fall into his loving arms. He's got you, and he's not going to let you go. And we are with one another. How do you get through pain? It's the phone call I receive. It's the person who stops by the house and drops off a meal for me when I'm sick. It's knowing that there's a group of people who are praying for me. It's when you and I take care of each other. That's the body of Christ. We get through pain when we share the pain. And that's what God wants us to do. Let's share life with one another. Help comes in the form of other people. God primarily uses secondary causes, us, to fulfill his purpose. We are the answer in Christ to helping someone in pain. Galatians 6.2 says, carry each other's burdens. So the next time you're walking around in here or outside and you see someone and they say to you, how you doing? Would you have 
the energy, the wherewithal to say, well, in Christ I'm fine, but I'm in a lot of pain. Would you pray for me? We do that one to another. We found an avenue to deal with our pain. Let's pray. Lord, we cannot imagine or understand the pain that you passed through. You took it all for us. So this pain that we suffer, and we do, we can't take it lightly, Lord, because it hurts emotionally, physically, spiritually. So we cry out to you and say, Holy Spirit, please minister to us from the inside out and then send us one to another to love one another, to care for one another so that we can work through this life together. We want to be more like you and we want to bring glory to your name. That's your purpose for us and that's our purpose in life. So bless us, Lord. Answer our prayers for pain. Help us, Jesus. We cry out to you this day in Jesus' name. Amen.